What's happening, people? And welcome to another episode of Beard Talk. On this lineup, I have my boy Saif. How you doing, bro? You good? Yeah, good, Alhamdulillah. How you doing? Good? Very well, thank you very much. We're obviously in lockdown. We've just had Bojo give us a briefing. And I'm just thinking where we're at with it. Some people are obviously a bit disappointed. They must have thought the lockdown would be done by now. But that's just wishful thinking, right? But before I start all of that, we're in lockdown. What's your beard saying, bro? Beard is good at the moment. Um, I need to shape it. Um, and that that's a bit of a struggle at the moment. Um, I've actually had to get my missus to help me um, a couple of times with shaping the beard. <laughs> Which is, uh, I can't do it myself. Uh, I try and do it in the mirror and I'm not too good at it. It, always, it turns out a bit uneven. Second hand to help me out with it. Well, in that case, it'll be a third hand, I take it. Yeah, yeah, third hand. <laughs> with that one. So um, it's a bit long. Need to cut it again next week. Don't do it. Let it grow, yeah? Always. Always, yeah. Man, definitely. I think, to be fair, I've never had like a proper, proper beard. I should really let it go, shouldn't I? Yeah, man. You don't have to have a beard to be on mm. this podcast, but it's nice. I mean, It fits with beard talk. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, it's beard talk, but it's just my beard that's talking. You don't have to have one, but I'm always pro beard. And it keeps you warmer during the winter times. Hides the double, double chins as well. Absolutely. I was, gonna, I was trying to style it out, but it hides the double chin. But back to the briefing that we just heard. So Bojo, good old Bojo, you know, I was quite impressed actually with his firmness. He was waving his hands around and banging on the table. Did you clock that part? Yeah, no, I think he was doing it deliberately, wasn't he? He was showing some power or something. I was like, you know what, I was feeling it. I was like, you know what, I'm motivated. I think it was an emphasis on the fact that this lockdown measure must continue. And what we're doing is we're going to reinstate some new measures but we will get through this. How's my impression of him? You know, that's that's pretty much spot on, I think. Just spot on. You just you just need some uh, blonde hair. Put on a few more pounds and you're there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be quite easy to put on the pounds. Agreed. I'm not going to deny that for myself either. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, he was trying to tackle the exponential growth by having that five alert system and keeping the R down. The infamous R, and we're currently at four, and the aim is to push it down, obviously, to a to a lower number. Yeah, so I think you mentioned something that we talked about the other time is that reproductive number. Apparently, it's between 0.5 and one, and as long as it's there, he's happy to start, you know, going down the stages. He said we were at four, right, and now he wants to go down to three, um, which was, you know, interesting to see. Like it's it's a positive, but. He did sound really cautious, didn't he, on the on the on the um, speech? He wasn't getting all our hopes up at all about how quick we can move. He didn't give us any dates either. No, he was basically highlighting that this is all conditional, mm. and you know it's a big if, and that's if we follow the guidelines. So we've got this. What's this step one, which we've already implemented and we're in, and he just really touched on steps two and three, right? And um, I might be jumping forward a little bit, but we can take a step back when we need to. But step two was to what? Um, open up some shops. But what shops is he on about? Like, what's there's essentials and then there's shops that will open. Are we just talking about clothes? I think, like, an example of step two um, would apply to, say, like a shopping centre, like, say, Bentles in Kingston or Westfields um, in uh, London. Like, you know, they could reopen, um, which, you know, makes sense at step two to allow them to do that as long as they you know follow all the social distancing guidelines yeah but don't you think like um to have 
a shopping centre like Westfield open or Bentles, the footfall are generally quite high. So is it a case of I'm going, I know which shop I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to that shop and I'm just going to get out of there. No footfall of roaming around window shopping because it will just gather too many large groups. I think on a smaller scale, like, you know, Waitrose and Sainsbury's, etc., they're obviously counting how many people are going into their shop, their store. And the moment it crosses a certain number, they won't, you know, let anyone else in until someone else leaves. So obviously for Westfields, that's going to be, you know, really difficult to manage. You know, it's like 10 times bigger than, you know, a supermarket. And I don't know how they're going to manage that. You know, I think there's a lot to, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, Boris has gone through his speech. But it's all great that he's given us like a, a guideline, an outline, but he's not given us a detailed plan as how that's going to happen. You know, what does it look like? He's not given any guidance really to any business to say, you know, this is what you need to implement in your store to pass our like, you know, guidelines to reopen. So it's a, there's lots of ifs and buts here, aren't there? The, the concern I had was, you know, they're, they're trying to touch on addressing the number of care homes and the NHS having what this virus, right? And uh, well, that's what I took from it. And he's like, you know, we're going to be testing from the hundreds and thousands to test. But currently they can't even do 100,000. Do you think they, they was that them backtracking their original number? Yeah, I, I think they were so like, I think they were a bit um, offended when people were comparing them to countries like Germany saying, why can't you do it? And I think um, they just got a bit annoyed. And I think they went all out to try and hit that 100,000 number. But they've not been able to do it consistently though have they they've literally hit that one day and since then eight days in a row they've not hit the hundred thousand i was like so what's the point pushing or pushing everything towards hitting the hundred thousand if you can't do it every day not to be like negative but if you can't even get to doing a hundred thousand people how are you going to do hundreds of thousands of people exactly. i don't know it's crazy to think that they think they could maybe do that or not talk about pushing above your weight back to touching on the care homes and the nhs what are they trying to do there? They're trying to control the numbers, aren't they? I know you're not the professional here, but I'm just trying to get your take on it. Um, they're just, are they trying to control the amount of deaths that's happening in the care homes? Because that's been quite high, hasn't it? Yeah, so from what you know, I've seen on the news and from other people speaking is that with the care homes, up until recently, they weren't recording the deaths from the care homes that were linked to COVID-19, coronavirus. Now they have actually started recording them and the numbers of, has jumped. It's actually the care home numbers of the death numbers that actually tipped us over the 30,000. And obviously in care homes, you've got the most vulnerable people there. And it's it's it has spread exponentially like you know it's affected a lot of people and there's a lot of and the, the other thing is you get people who are being infected by coronavirus but not everyone's in the high risk groups but when you go to a care home anyone that's pretty much infected by it isn't in a high risk group you know the mortality rate is really you know is a lot higher in a care home so they have to get that under control because at the end that's what people are going to remember isn't it the death rate how many people actually died and that's what the government's going to be judged on that's it and that touches on um, my point with the PPE. So, you know, they've got this five levels that they're, they're talking about. Number one, which is like sufficient critical care, a support for care homes for the, for the elderly as well as the staff. That's the concern. Like, let's, let's push down to what? The, okay, sustained and consistent fall in daily deaths uh, and the rate of infection decreasing. So that are, but... I'm trying to work my way down to the point where we're talking about PPE. So the testing and the PPE, in order for that to happen, we need to basically equip them 
so that the care homes and the and if NHS facilities are supported. Does that make yeah. sense? Am I making yeah. my points clear? Yeah, I, yeah, I think it makes sense. And I think Boris said in his, you know, and it's something you touched on, Nas, everything seems to be about the NHS here. It's all about protecting the NHS. That's what they're interested in, because I think the way they look at it is if the NHS gets overwhelmed, you know, everything falls apart. And PPE is obviously a part of that. You know, they need to get staff, you know, fully equipped so that they can work safely in that environment. So, um, you know, those five steps are really important. I'm interested to see how this, you know, tracing app's going to work. Because apparently they're bringing in an app with, which they already launched in Isle of Wight to trial it out there. And I think there's been 100,000 people who have downloaded it. And, um, you know, basically it uses Bluetooth. And, you know, if, you've, if you have any symptoms, you need to go on the app and record that and declare it. And because whoever you are close to in proximity, um, the Bluetooth would have um, detected them whilst you were there. They'll ping out a message to all those people that potentially have been in close contact with you. Then they'll get a message and then they have to check if they've got symptoms and isolate. So that'll be really, you know, interesting to see how that actually works. I don't know what you think about the whole app that they're looking to bring out with the NHS. Yeah, I mean, if the underlining agenda of addressing people and eliminating threat or how many people it's affecting is the case then great obviously gdpr and data protection is my concern but in a pandemic i i do see it being beneficial but the um the other thing i just didn't get was are they using bluetooth i mean if they use gps i think in south korea they used gps and use the same model so it's not something new that they've come out with obviously you mentioned they're already doing it in the isle of Wight, but it's about time that they come out with this in the uk because you know they've done it in south korea they managed to tame this um amongst those that have had it and you know it's only a sensible thing to do so i'm up for it i just don't know how practical it is and how it works with bluetooth yeah and i think um the thing with touching on the bluetooth point like that's quite old technology. So, you know, I, even me, when I heard, I was thinking, really, Bluetooth? There's, you know, there's there's more modern ways to, you know, use connectivity to use an app like this. But apparently there's lots of concerns about privacy and um, not allowing, you know, people being concerned about their locations being tracked, etc. So apparently Bluetooth is the only form of connection that would allow people to anonymously be detected and told via like a text message that you need to check your symptoms, you need to isolate, etc. And the Bluetooth doesn't then store any information. That's good because I guess one point is the accuracy in data. So location would be turned off for a lot of devices. So how would you even capture that? I guess they're overriding that with Bluetooth in that element. And then you're saying that it also protects the owner of the device because it only captures limited data. Is that correct? Exactly, and that, that's what they're they're kind of focused on. They're, they're doing it deliberately so that people don't get too worried because apparently they need at least 60 or 50 to 60% of the population needs to download this app and use it in order for it to be effective. So if people start getting concerned about their privacy, they're not going to get that uptake. But then it's like an app that you'd have to encourage the elderly to perhaps use. So... You know, they've got a couple of campaigns that they really need to work on and make it easy to do or perhaps download the app onto their devices. And that's if they had got a device, because most elderly people I've seen, when I mean elderly, I mean quite considerably older than an adult. 
So they wouldn't have a smartphone. They'll just have a brick phone. That only thing that it's got is a great battery life. Otherwise, it, you know, we can't even download an app. So they need to perhaps bring out some devices, really pull some money out of their pockets and, I don't know, create these gadgets that can do this. And then for the masses, great, you got your smartphone and you can use it there. Yeah, no, d- definitely. I agree with that. And yeah, you touched on an important point there is obviously you've got the people who are, you know, technologically savvy in the younger lot. But what about the older people that have got to use this um, service as well? You know, have they got the phones for it, etc.? So, you know, it's important to see with that. Yeah, because otherwise you're just missing out a fat margin of the population. And, you know, how practical is it? It's just great in theory, but then, you know, put it to practice. And then you've got all of these anomalies that you have to factor in. So this app we've touched on, have they highlighted a launch date for it? So from what I understand, um, from what I've heard on, on the news and from others is, they want to see the outcome of the trial for um, in the Isle of Wight. So they want to see how that goes. And as long as there's not, you know, any major issues to resolve, they would be hopefully planning to launch it at the end of this month or the start of next month um, for everyone. Um, it's already been signed off by Apple and Google as an app that can be downloaded. So it would be live and ready to go on Android and Apple straight away. Um, so it's just a case of literally waiting for everyone, you know, the government to be happy to launch it and then it will be available to download from your store. Yeah, it's handy in that sense. I just want to know more about members of the public that don't necessarily have a smartphone, I think, which is quite high still in the elderly uh, age group, should I say. But that's obviously something that will come out regardless of whichever step we're in. We kind of touched on step two, but let's go back to step one. Um, he, he mentioned... Um, working from home right so uh, you know if you can work from home great work from home but if you can't then I guess go in and good luck (laughs) all right I'll be a bit more serious there I guess the advice he gave which was you know if you can go by car if you can't then by foot or even better by cycle yeah so with that like I found it a bit confusing to be honest because at the first firstly he said you know if you can't can't work from home then you should be actively encouraged to return to work. Now, he then put in a caveat saying, for example, manufacturing and construction. But then he says, however, avoid public transport if possible. So I just find, you know, for a lot of people who have to use public transport to get to work, what does that mean? Like, apparently trains are going to have social distancing in place. So everything's a lot unclear. Apparently, you know, I hope that he said he's going to outline all the details in parliament tomorrow so i really hope he does clarify because otherwise he's literally saying from tomorrow which is in less than 12 hours employers could start calling people saying you need to return to work i know i was just thinking that was like for those that have to like return back to normality or a form of normality what does that mean for them how instant are these changes for them and um you know it's great for those that want to go to work I don't know why they would be in dire need. I know you need the money, but your health is your health first and foremost. But it's great you want people to go back to work and avoid using public transport. But, you know, I let's say, for example, someone in my position who lives in Surrey and their office is in London. You want me to pedal? <laughs> you want me to walk? <laughs> yeah. And if not, okay, worst case scenario, for those that don't have an option, they they would take public transport. But what are they going to do there? Because they already limited the amount of 
trains that would depart from from a station but then what has happened is they've had a higher uh, footfall on those trains because of the limited services so yeah man it, it does boggle the mind yeah and especially as the, you know one of the one of their you know advisors said that in order to maintain social distancing on public transport they would have to reduce capacity by 90% from what it was before the lockdown now can you imagine trains running at 10% of the normal capacity you and me have been on those trains before yeah it already feels like it's at 10% yeah i don't know how they're going to you know how they're going to maintain it so i'm just a bit frustrated really with that message it's like if you're going to come out and say something like that make sure you can back it up with a plan yeah this so called roadmap it's not a strategy it's just some bullet points that's what it was to me and um i'm still skeptical and the fact that he's like oh unlimited lounging you can go chill out you can go you know play squash but it has to be with your household how do you put a measure on that it's still going to be very hard to police you've already got the police up against themselves you know they've tweeted that look how many people are out in the park you know just chilling out chilling out relaxing and you know it's quite overwhelming for us and now you've got more people out in the streets and um what does that mean for everyone when i mean what does that mean for everyone what does that mean for you know the police what does that mean for families that go out like how is there a control or measure so it's like you say it's, it's all well and good talking about this roadmap and we didn't uplift the lockdown but there's no cap on how many times you can leave the house still a lot of anomalies there still a lot of concern i just feel like th- this virus can spread quite easily still yeah and no, you know what i don't think that's the the worrying thing because yeah we want a bit of clarity from them but they seem a bit cautious and i can understand why now because apparently um in south korea they eased the lockdown and infections have increased the same has happened now in germany they eased the lockdown and infections have now increased and then in china they just had some new infections take place in china so it just shows you that until a vaccine is produced like there's actually no way out of this you just got to try and manage it as best as possible but it doesn't sound great for the next 12 months does it um in terms of what we, what the outlook's going to be that you know no matter how much we try and you know come out of this lockdown we're always going to have to maintain some form of social distancing whilst we wait for a vaccine or well, touching on the vaccine the government already put 20 million aside for research right so oxford university and a company called astrazeneca are looking to to find this vaccine i don't know how deep they're into finding some sort of solution but they better hurry up no pressure but they better hurry up <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can tell <laughs> i think a lot of people are hoping it comes out next month or something of the way things are going um yeah. but the worrying thing is they're saying you know with any vaccine you know it's going to take them at least a year from now to first of all come up with a vaccine that works but then you've got to actually then find a way to distribute it to like millions and millions of people like it's yeah. a massive task for them i mean they haven't handed out masks have they i know they've handed out masks to hospitals and patients in hospitals or outpatients but then for the masses what does that mean for them and then we got these bootleg masks that don't even really address the issue of being infected it's only protecting others from those cough droplets and so forth so like the surgical mask is supposed to like a respirator mask so yeah just get the vaccine out chop chop it's not easy as saying that i know 
but um, what I'm trying to say is where are we with what we're doing this roadmap is still a major concern to me and I just feel like people are going to use that as an excuse to just relax and go back to normality because people are blind and they like the comfort of normality and they just want to go back to that regardless of wherever we're at in this state and that's when we see a spike like you mentioned in Germany and Korea South Korea so um yeah what does that mean well yeah I mean we touched on step two there step three was um open some hospitality places but like what you're gonna open a restaurant still quite confined how many seatings are in in a restaurant a lot of restaurants aren't huge I guess it's like the ones that are quite large will be able to limit the amount of people that come in and keep a distance but then I still have that paranoia you know I actually if I do get a takeaway I reheat my food just to kill any potential germs have you have you always um done that or is that just since lockdown just since lockdown oh yeah that's good though like that's a good move isn't it like you know at least you kind of do your best to kind of mitigate all of this virus transmission etc as long as it works I just can't be half-hearted with it, you know. Yeah. If I'm going to go extreme in one area, I have to cover all areas. And that's just, again, one area that makes sense to me. And if I don't do it, then I'm like, all this hard work that I've done is out the window. I know what you're like. When you take something on and you want to do it, you, you'll do it 100%. You don't do like 50% or 75%. That's, balance is my nemesis, so <laughs> I'm working on it. But yeah, I'll either do everything or I'll do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's one or the other, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, man, it's, it's been a, a struggle my whole life and I'm sure, you know, I've got many years ahead of me to address it, but I'll address it. We'll get there one day. So what do you think about the hospitality then that they're trying to put in place? So I mentioned that large capacity restaurants might be able to allow a reduced amount of footfall, but what does that mean for smaller restaurants, for example? And that's just one area of covering the footfall. I mean, is it still safe? Yeah, and I think, you know, what the the big dilemma for these business people is and these business owners is to at what point does do they have to weigh up the cost to their business by reopening at, say, like 50 percent of their capacity and, you know, whether it's whether that's worth reopening. Like, you know, I think there's a lot of businesses that once they maybe read the detailed plans from the government, they will probably just think it's just not worth reopening when you think about their overheads. Like I could imagine a restaurant there, there must be some restaurants out there. You know, they base their break-even and profit based on being full, don't they? You know, having full seats uh, at the weekend, you know, 100%. full tables. So how how is that going to work? I think this is the worry is if this is going to be how things are going to be for the next year or more, there's a lot of businesses I think they're just going to go under. Yeah, adapting is the route to survival, I think. So a lot of restaurants that weren't doing deliveries and only were doing like dining in, might not have even done collections are doing collections and deliveries now so takeaways are actually doing great i've spoken to a lot of business owners takeaway owners and they're doing great they're smashing it actually because no one's able to leave the house or home and you know just ordering a delivery so it's great for them but then it's the restaurants that are going to take a big hit but like i mentioned if you were to be adaptive you might be able to save your business because it might be a short-term um, measure. I know it's a long way away until we're in some sort of normality, but it's just about surviving the next 12 months, I think, perhaps. Yeah, and no, I think that's the, that's the key now. It's like you said, there is no point thinking about when the things are going to go back to how they were before, because it may never do go back. It may never go back to how it was before. I think even Boris touched on it saying, 
this is going to change UK forever. And it probably will do. Like, you know, who's to say that we're even going to find a vaccine for this? There's apparently there's seven coronaviruses out there at the moment. And, you know, four, four, five, six of them, we don't even have a vaccine for. Like, you know, the flu is one of them. And you know, the common flu, we have to create a vaccine every single year because it keeps mutating. So we're just going to have to live with this. And we just got to learn to adapt to it. Maybe it's a wake up call. Maybe, you know, we've been living our lifestyles in a way that's just not healthy. It's nature, isn't it? Like people said, nature has a way that when you become too densely populated, they have a way to kill people. And, you know, it's a virus, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we obviously, I know UK and other countries have dabbled with the idea of herd immunity, but the the cost is far too greater than the actual uh, solution. And like the flu, there's a high death rate for that every year, like winters. I know we don't highlight these numbers, but a lot of elderly people die because of it. And it doesn't mean, okay, just let people die and we'll be all right with it, because I don't agree with that either. But we just have to put our resources in the right investments, which is putting money towards vaccines and getting somewhere towards that solution. Exactly. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. You know, one of the last few points I'll probably bring up is, and it's more of a question to kind of just highlight kind of the flaws in Boris's speech today. If I was if I was your employer, Nars, and I said to you, I want you back in the office tomorrow, what would your thoughts be? Um, you know, what would you think right now as to going back to work? As Because potentially, because technically... What Boris said now is some business could turn around and say you need to go back tomorrow. Or else, yeah. pretty much. I mean, I would straight away feel a lot of anxiety and I'll be like, what? All of a sudden, straight away? Or are you going to give me like a week to digest this? Or probably not because you just want to get back into the motion of things and we're probably going to use this as a an opportunity to just rush back. And I don't like the idea of that. I'm so fortunate that I'm flexible and you know i'm gonna be working from home and lord willing i still have my job depending on the market right yeah i'm fortunate that i'm working from home so i don't have to think like that but my heart goes out to those that would have to and you know their their concern would be right i'm not comfortable with this or you know i have family to think about what does this mean for me it will have to funnel through some sort of risk eliminator and then who can go and who can't but then there's always a gray area where someone's going to suffer because of this decision yeah and i think um there's got to be some protection as well for employees it's quite you know it's quite daunted when you have your employer saying i want you back in or else like you know they can be quite intimidating sometimes to certain employees because you kind of feel like if you resist you know you're going to be blacklisted by your employer for being someone who challenged them and i think the government's really got to step in and be really clear as to who, when, what and how, in what scenarios can people go back? Um, and then at least, the, you know, the employer will feel a bit, you know, will want to be a bit careful about telling people to come back because obviously what they don't want is someone being taken ill from this, you know, God forbid, passes away and then they've got a lawsuit on their table. So there's some responsibility that has to be taken and, you know, someone will be responsible for all these decisions. So I hope they don't make them lightly just to kind of rush back to normality and the thought of that will hopefully bring some sensible decisions we'd like to think people in a position of power will think for the people and be true leaders and not just manage the situation because that often seems like a short-term goal like you know like oh we just as long as we get the numbers right in this quarter or that quarter you know make us look good it's not like that it's life or death so i'm hoping 
there's a lot of positives that have come from this lockdown. I don't want to end on a gloomy note. So I would like to say that compassion will rise and will accommodate the people. That's kind of the feedback Boris needs, really. Um, yeah, I'll send it to him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's got a post box, so send him a letter. Nah, okay. screw that. I don't want to touch him. Uh, <laughs> he has, he has recently got the uh, coronavirus. <laughs> I'll tweet him a link to this episode. Yeah, look at me. I've gone back like 200 years saying post him a letter. Like, what about, you know, what about Twitter and emails? <laughs> <laughs> Bojo, make sure you respond back to me. It'll be rude not to. Yeah, otherwise you're going to get cussed on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, as if you haven't already, but yeah. yeah. We'll go at it again if we have to. <laughs>